Yes, people, what's happening? And welcome to the Frankie Allen podcast. You are here with your host, Will Cranny, alongside the UK's most feared comedian, Frankie Allen. Frank, do you think I should carry on with that intro or do you think it's a bit formal? What do you reckon? Well, no, I think everyone's used to it now and everyone yeah. kind of looks forward to it as soon as you say it. Yeah. They know what's going to go on. So I oh, know I think it's good, I think it's great. All right, I'm feeling it. So I hope everyone who's listening or watching to this is good today. Frank, fill us in. How are you feeling? What's been happening? Feeling great, really. We did our first show um, on Saturday night at the 5th, it was, it was the 5th of June, at Blackpool at the North Pier, the Joe Longthorne Theatre, and sold out. Fantastic night. Thoroughly enjoyed it, and it was just fantastic. Great to be working back again and... Uh, you know, kind of feeling our way now after the first show. Like riding a bike in it. You haven't ridden a bike for 18 months, 15 months, whatever the fuck it's been. You know how to do it, but when you get on it the first time, it's a little bit, you're a little bit nervous. I was a little bit nervous Saturday um, about whether or not I'd remember all the material or whether or not if it got echoed, you know, if I could handle it. Or you just don't know because when we were working, when we were like on a roll, Last year or 18 months ago, we were working two, three, four times a week, different places. So you feel as though you're never off the stage. Yeah. When you go for a big gap, like we've been like 15 months without an indoor show, it just seemed quite strange to get back on board, get back on, on the boards, literally. But no, it worked out great. So I'm over the moon, very pleased. Nice one. So what we're going to do is the first topic of this conversation is we're going to fill you in about the show and, you know, no old bad luck at it. There will be okay. a vlog that will have gone out by the time you listen to this or watch this. Um, but as we always say at the start of these videos or whether you're listening or whatever, if you're on YouTube, give us a thumb up, get yourself subscribed. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever you're listening on, give us a five-star review if you sound, because we're sound and you're sound and it makes good vibes. Anyway, let's talk about the Blackpool show. So as we had said, we haven't been on stage or we haven't done a show since December 18th. The show sold out in the end at 502 tickets, okay? And that, even though it was social distanced, is the biggest show that I've ever promoted oh. uh, from a comedy perspective. It's the biggest show that you've ever done. Tell us going into it, I know you told me that you didn't feel nervous whatsoever. Yeah. Did you feel nervous? How were you feeling about it? I don't actually get nervous. Nervous isn't the right word. It didn't, wasn't shaking. I mean, my mouth didn't go dry. Um, I know what I'm capable of. I know as soon as I picked the mic up, I've done it like 40 odd years. I know that I'd kind of like slide back into it. I was just a little worried whether or not um, my timing had gone, okay. you know, askew or maybe I'd forgotten some of the material and I wasn't on form, wasn't as kind of aggressive with the crowd as it should have been. And you just think maybe, probably make the analogy with a boxer, like Muhammad Ali was the best boxer in the world, yeah. totally undefeated. Now, when he was banned from boxing because he wouldn't fight in the Vietnam War, he wouldn't accept a draft, he didn't fight for three years. Okay. First fight. That was because he was, what's it called? A, um, conscientious objector. objector. That's the one. Yeah. So he didn't agree with the war, so he said, I'm not going to fight. Yeah. And really, if he would have stepped forward and been inducted into the army, he wouldn't have actually fought. Okay. He would have been kind of like on promotional tours of Vietnam with all the soldiers, he wouldn't have got... 
Well, basically what he was saying was he didn't agree he with He didn't agree with it, so he said no. So the three years he was out of the ring, mm. obviously he's training in the gym. He's kind of sparring with different people, different champions. Train. He was sparring with Tim Witherspoon and whatever, real top class. Larry Holmes, real top class boxers, world mm. class boxers, who themselves would go on to become world champions. But it's still not the same as fighting a prize fight, professional fight in the ring. Yeah. And those three years when he got back in the ring, Madison Square Gardens in 71, he was defeated. He got beat by Joe Frazier, who really wasn't as good as him. But the three-year layoff and really told. Okay. So like everything else, you've got to keep on something. You've got to keep doing it. Like anything, like a bricklayer, probably. If you're a bricklayer and you haven't done it for a few years, you're probably a bit rusty when you go back to it, aren't you? you know? So in the lead so, up to the actual show itself, you were thinking, yeah. ah, I might be a bit snide on stage here, but I'm not nervous in any way. I wasn't nervous. I don't get nervous. I get kind of, um, what's the word? Not really anxious, concerned. If I see a crowd and if I think they're drunk, I mean, the crowd on Saturday, I could sell straight away the way they were coming in. A lot of them had been out all day. Well, let's not talk about that just yet. We'll run run you through how the day looks okay. and, and basically go from scratch, right? Yeah. So on the morning of the show, it's Saturday. It's a fucking sunny day. Okay. It's a good day. We left early, about two o'clock. We left early about we left two. Early yeah. about two Very o'clock. Early. We've been taking. I've been taking the last couple of days to get ready for it. Um, the show sold out. It was amazing. Um, with regards to people buying the tickets, so massive thank you to everyone who bought yeah. your tickets for that. Because I didn't think the appetite was there for socially distanced events anymore, due to the fact that people were just thinking the end is nigh, uh, and we can go back to full capacity events soon. So it was great to be able to do those numbers. And when we looked at the ticket list, people weren't from Blackpool, really, really. People were from Ireland, from Scotland, people coming up from down south, everywhere, really. Yeah, all over the UK, so massive thank you. All over the British Isles, yeah. So it was great, and uh, it's fascinating. I kind of like, I am fascinated to get a buzz off it, really. When you look at the list, see the postcodes, and what we do, obviously, you do it with me. We look to see where the people have come from, and you get a real surprise with some of them. You think, fucking hell, guy coming down from Aberdeen, the north of Scotland. (laughs) Then here's a fella coming from Cornwall, and you think, bloody hell, you know. I, I always think, you know, especially on the way home when I'm driving home. Yeah. Wonder where that guy from Cornwall. I wonder if he stays in Blackpool, or I wonder if he's driving now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like an eight-hour trip down, down, down to Cornwall. It's crazy, isn't it? Um. So basically, we arrived in Blackpool, and our mate was staying in this hotel. Now, you might know him from the Norwich vlog. His name is George. He's uh, he's a good lad, George Wermold. Shout out to George Wermold. Georgie Wermold, he drove us down to Norwich and he took us to Maidstone as well in the van. And anybody who's looked at that uh, particular vlog, it was very, very funny. We had a good laugh about the pasties. We went into the um, service station at Dunstable, Bedfordshire, Luton, I think it was, round there. And we had a good laugh about the pasties being cold. On the way home as well, when we came home from Norwich, it was hilarious because he got a bit lost and he went round Newmarket three times. I said, you're going round, you've been round Newmarket more times than Frankie the Tory who's a jockey, you know. So we had a good laugh with him. He's a great lad, but he loves comedians, not just me. He watches other comedians. So him and his brothers and all his mates, they came up to Blackpool to see the show. George is staying in the hotel 
and he's got us a parking space. He's got me and you in one car and killed all parking It was space. miraculous, really, because there is nowhere to park. And I said to you, didn't I, Well, I said, what the fuck's going on? Surely the North Pier, the people that own the North Piers, the North Pier, the Central Pier, the South Pier, surely they've got parking spaces. But no, what I failed to realise, and I should have done straight away, a pier... You think about a pier, all it is a walkway, like a boardwalk, right out into the sea. Yeah. You know, like whatever it is, 600 yards, quarter of a mile, right out into the sea. So obviously there's there's no cars can go, go on the promenade. There's nowhere to park. And when you come to the front where the trams are going by and things, there's no parking spaces. But George, our mate, was staying in the Metropole Hotel and... Uh, we asked, could we park in his park? And he made arrangements, he paid for us to park. Even then when we got in the parking bay, there was nowhere to park. Blackpool was heaving. Everybody's on this staycation vibe now. Obviously, no one's going abroad, no one's going to Portugal. There's hardly anywhere you can go to. There's only kind of like Gibraltar, Iceland, so no one's going away. So Blackpool, it was like a movie, like the end of the world, thousands of people everywhere. So we're in the car park. Oh, I've never seen it like in that before. In the Metropole Hotel, we thought we've had it. We've got nowhere to park. We're not going to do it. And then a, a girl reversed and she left. And this other guy was before us. He was going to go in. But his missus came out of the hotel. And she, for whatever reason, she said, we're not staying here. So they left and we managed to get in. I mean, I'm no, I can't drive really. I can't park. You've had to park the car in a very kind of tiny space. But great, at least we got somewhere to park. So we've done it. It was a bit of a mad vibe, to be honest with you. Pete, the production manager uh, for us, had, had told me that it was going to be like the zombie apocalypse when we got there. And to get yeah. down early, I didn't believe him. Yeah. And then we literally got to Blackpool and it was just swarming with people everywhere. We got into this car park. Now, as I say, the car park was mad tight. When we have drove in, like, it was pro- it was a, it was a bit scatty. Like, there was cars everywhere. And um, this fella, like, was being I thought he was being weird and I went what are you being aggressive for mate no need to be aggressive didn't I and then you went no, calm that down was you. he was alright he was an old fella yeah he wasn't an old fella he was younger than you okay he looked old he had grey hair and things <laughs> yeah. and he was just saying you can go in because <laughs> me missus can't get in the hotel and you were like that what are you you know, all that, you know. No, so, I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Snow I wasn't asked. Anyway, fella. anyway, we managed to park in the car park. We bails. We walks down to the North Pier, uh, which is like on this mad pier. We we met Jamie there, who's the manager. Goes inside, gets in the dressing room. First impressions of the venue. What? How are you feeling about it? I was very pleased when I saw the venue. It's a lovely theatre and a very big theatre. Yeah, I'm sure the full capacity. Without lockdown, without social distancing, it's probably, what is it, 800 or something? 1,500. 1,500? Yeah. Fucking, I should have seen the size of it. It was great. And the stage area, I went backstage, went right back miles and miles and miles. You could have, like, a real West End production on there. Yeah. Big as any West End theatre. And uh, we met Martine, who was the general manager, and... Um, Jamie, who's the manager of the North Pier. It was fantastic. It made us feel very welcome and it was a great day. It was mad. They had some interesting people there. The gaff looks like, if anyone's ever seen the Muppet Show, like the theatre off the Muppet Show, it's a proper old school theatre vibe. Yeah. But it was like the, the staff themselves, as lovely as they were, were proper old school. Like that guy, that guy Dennis... They were very Dennis old is school, the stage yeah. manager. Well, it's Pete funny you should the, say the Muppet Show. <laughs> because 
Anyone remembers the Muppets show? Remember the two hecklers in the balcony, the two old fellas with the great Stadler hair? and Waldorf. Stadler and Waldorf. The light man and the technician, man, they were like them, weren't they? No, not really. A little bit. He was moaning all night, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, he was a bit late. He was moaning. Not at us, though. He weren't no, moaning No, but he was us. saying, I'm going to quit tonight. I'm going to quit. And funny enough, it reminded me of that the fellow with the grey hair and the, and the white moustache yeah. from the balcony of the Muppet Show. That's what he was like. <laughs> Isabella. Anyway, we get there. Kilvo turns up. Um, the, the crowd starts coming in. We delayed the show. We delayed the show ever so slightly, purely due to the fact that um, we wanted to make it work for the venue. And sometimes if you delay the show slightly, it means that people will be a bit more likely to go to the bar. And it works for both parties. Sometimes, you know, you have to work with venues just so that you can develop a bit of a relationship with them. Yeah. And, and they're not thinking, fucking hell, these fellas are mercy from the year. They want to start the show bang on time and basically they can't make the money out of it. But look, for whatever reason, if people are slow getting into the venue, maybe they've gone to other bars, maybe... The kind of like forgotten what time the arrival is. It's happened to me hundreds of times around the clubs. People have said, Frankie, it's eight o'clock now, you know, there's still nobody in. I mean, I've got all night. So normally you said, and I said, well, let's just wait till they get here. We've got all night. So once it was full, it didn't take too long, really. Once it was really full, the crowd were there. We didn't keep them waiting. We just got on with it. Jimmy Kilbo went on and a great night. So fantastic. All right, so sound check done. Done the sound check, all the rest of it. Um, everything organised, security briefed. Yeah. And uh, at the very start, we spoke to the security. They had three really, really young lads on with this older fella. When I say older yeah. fella, not that much older than me, probably about 15 years older than me. Yeah. Paul, who was brilliant, money. He? he was very good, very professional. And, and he was a big years. lad. You could see he was a strong lad and he could use himself. But anyway, the, the key to ensuring uh, a good night is obviously to breach the security and let them know what to do with hecklers. The reason I'm telling you that is because heckling was an issue later on in the night. So basically... Do the sound check, all the rest of it. We ended up starting the show. Show was supposed to start at half seven. We started the show bang on eight or just maybe five past, ten past. I go on to introduce, where are you sat? Well, I'm in the dressing room. Okay. Yeah. Can you hear it, though? Yeah, I can hear it all, yeah. Oh, could you could hear, hear everything? Yeah, you could hear everything. The actual dressing room we were in is over the stage, really. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're sat in the dressing room over yeah. the stage. Boss little dressing room, all chilled out. I go on to introduce the show. I walk on. Yeah. I'm just getting heckled. Straight away. Straight away. Yeah. Like, proper straight away. Like, but like I'm used to that, so I'm not arsed. Yeah. So I was like, hey, you, fuck off and all that. And then I was like, any scousers in here? Listen, we'll wait for these lads at the end and all that. I'm just having a bit of banter with them. Yeah. But tell us, from, a, from a, a, yeah. a headline comedian's perspective, what is your thinking when you're hearing this? Are you analysing it? As soon as I hear the guy shouted something else at you, he shouted nonce, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. To be, fair, to be fair, yeah, sometimes it can be funny. Yeah, but we just, I was I yeah. was buzzing off it. But what it's indicative of to yeah. me, as soon as I heard two or three shouts at you, then when Jimmy went on, he was fighting for his life. He was getting it from all kinds, all kinds of hecklers. I thought, fucking hell. And I went on to a different level, then went on to Defcon One, like I thought it was going to be a world war. I thought, fucking hell, this is a. Although it was in a theatre, although it was in Blackpool. I just went right, went into a different mode as though preparing myself, getting ready to work in, in a rough pub. Yeah. And that's what the crowd were like. They were like a rough pub crowd. I think people were just gassed, weren't they? I think they'd been drinking a little bit too much. And what struck me, what's strange about Blackpool or 
what's kind of uh, what's the word to use? It's not strange, I suppose. What's unique about Blackpool is that a lot of people that go there are big drinkers. Now, yeah. anybody who knows anyone, anyone listening to this and watching this knows anyone, not that's got a drink problem, but anybody that drinks, you will find out, you know, that they use any excuse to have a drink. Okay. So they'll say, oh, it's my mum's birthday. Let's have a drink. It's my granddad. My granddad would have been 182 today. Yeah. Should we go and have a drink on him? Any excuse to justify, make themselves feel better about them getting drunk. So what you've got in Blackpool, people who are staying in hotels. Yeah. They go out for the breakfast in the morning. They'll have a breakfast. Then they sit there, you know, hopefully it's sunny. People are walking about. There's entertainment on. Thousands of pubs, thousands of bars, and there's a tradition of everybody drinking all day. It's like being on holiday, basically. Yeah, being on holiday. So they slowly, very slowly get drunk. You know, they'll have the breakfast a couple of, you know, half an hour later, they'll have a pint. Then they go for a little walk. They might go to the fairground, they'll come back, they have another pint. And over the day, they've probably had about 20 pints. But obviously some of them are drinking at a faster rate than others. And as we both know, with a lot of the shows, a lot of people, because they're going to see a show, not saying it's just for me, Frankie Allen, probably for other comics as well, for other top comics, they get a little bit kind of nervous and excited. Mm. And like a kid going kind of like to a fairground or giving a kid candy floss, they get excited. So they start drinking. Mm. And we've had loads of it. Remember we did Bradford, um, the rugby club up in Bradford that we did. And we drove past the pub four o'clock in the afternoon. They were all outside. And I said, they are all going to the yeah, show. Yeah, but one thing about Bradford, which I didn't even think of until you've just mentioned it, Dennis, once again, that was a boiling hot day. Very hot day. And maybe it's something that we've got to well, look at. Well, this is something we've got to look for at. For Saturday. It was a very hot day on Saturday. What so, I'm saying is, maybe it's something we've got to look at with regards to bringing the show earlier. Possibly. Because yeah. if you think about it, if the weather does turn, on a Saturday, yeah. people aren't stressed about what time they're getting out, either because they're not getting home from yeah. where. Well, maybe we've got to maybe take the weather the forecast into Sat consideration. Yeah. Well, you can't really take the weather forecast, but what we're saying is basically people are keenly gassed, um, which is fair play to them. They, you know, <laughs> they haven't been out for a while. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Go ahead. 99% of people can get half drunk and they can still be a great audience, which they were. They can still laugh the fucking heads off. They can still understand all the gags. But some of them, there's one or two individuals, they get too much and they get a little bit aggressive. Yeah. And that's what we were faced with. And that's how it came to... So um, you get on stage for the first time, tell yeah. Phyllis in what happened. James had been on. Jimmy uh, had been on. I'm in the dressing room. He was just getting constantly heckled. Constantly he heckled. Like. And there's a fella that was heckling him. I could hear his voice. And I thought, straight away, he's going to go for me. So what I'll do, I'd already prepared in my mind everything I was going to say to him. Mm. I wasn't going to be shocked when I... That was a good thing. Is you'd you been see on him from heckled. the stage? No, I couldn't see him. Yeah. You'd been heckled. Jimmy had been heckled. So at least I knew what I was up against and knew what I was in for. Yeah. So as soon as I walked out, I thought, I'm going to get it straight away. So it wasn't a shock mm. when I started getting heckled. If it would have been, this is the good thing really about working with yourself as an MC and working with a support comedian. When I used to do shows on my own and go into rough pubs or places where they were pissed, I'd walk straight on the stage with no support act before me. Straight away, before I picked the mic up, somebody shouts, fuck off, dickhead. Mm. 
And what do you say to that? Yeah. Then you're really up against it. You're trying to think of things. You're trying to shut them up. You're trying to keep it funny. You don't want trouble. You don't want it going off. But at the same time, you want it to keep quiet. So it's very, very difficult. So having that buffer is breaking them down, basically. After that buffer, once I knew they were, you know, I thought, well, maybe the picking on Will, possibly because you look, obviously, you're young. Mm. Jimmy's like, Probably the same age as you is you're a little bit older. Same age. Same age, but he looks a little bit older and he's a bit kind of like, I don't know, maybe I thought he might get away with it. Maybe it'd be okay for me. But once I knew, and Jimmy was giving a bit of stick out and he was getting it back tenfold, and I thought, fucking hell, I'm really going to get it. At least I was prepared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you go on stage, first time, how did you feel? Were you buzzing? Are you buzzing on standing on stage, buzzing, thinking, fucking hell, I can't believe I'm gonna go out on stage in a theater in front of 500 people well, for the first time in six months? Or are you thinking, fucking hell, this well, is gonna be a hard way? I, you just don't know. No, how did you feel in I yourself? I felt okay. I mean, as soon as on the stage, no nerves at all. Yeah. When you look out and you see like 500 people, or whatever, they may as well just be sacks of flour to you. Yeah, no, I you know. You know, that. it's not kind of, so I didn't feel nervous. Now, I've always made the analogy with a boxer when you're doing a performance as a comic. And that was the same on Saturday. You know, I walked out. Now, I knew one of the fellows at the front was a mate of ours. Oh, Keith. Keith was there with his missus right at the front. So I knew I could pick on him. So I called him a fat bastard or whatever. And he was laughing his fucking head off. And everyone was laughing. So I thought, this is great. It's okay. Done a few gags, going down very well. Started to get a little bit of heckling from one fella. Now, as soon as, and this guy was like a fella like my age and he had his missus with him and he had the white shirt on, looked like a bank manager in a suit and pants and all that. And he didn't look like a heckler and he was shouting out. So straight away, I savaged him, you know, anything and everything that I could think mm. of. Hey, you, you ugly bastard, who the fuck are you talking to? The last time you came to Blackpool, you're so fucking ugly, they give you your money back on the ghost train. Savaged him and he shut up mm. and he was quiet. And then I knew, because you can feel the vibe from a crowd, I thought, these are fucking rough. And I'd done a couple of things to this guy, you know, a couple of like anti-heckle stoppers, I used to call him. But his missus was next to him and he shouted something else. I was thought, this fella's not going to give up. So to get him to give up, I had to target his missus then. Okay. So I said, who the fuck's that with you, the fucking scarecrow that you with? Hey, love... Weren't you sitting in a rocking chair in the film Psycho? <laughs> I've never seen that film. Right, yeah, it does a skeleton. Okay. In a rocking chair. Oh, decent. Alfred Discock movie, yeah. So he kind of shut up then and he mm. thought, you know, once they know they're up against it, once they know you're going to give them a battle, a lot of them back down. So it was okay then. And I managed to go on and on and on, gags, guys, getting good laughs. Every now and then they'd get a little bit of a lull, go quiet which you do get with a crowd that are a bit drunk, pissed. Yeah, a late crowd. You know, they rest and then bring them back up. But all in all, it went down great. You did 40 minutes in the first half. You don't 40 minutes do 40 in the first minutes. half. It's fantastic. So I thought, great, you know, we've only got the second half to contend with. Decent. So at the break, um, obviously you were sweating buckets. You came off stage and you were yeah. literally like drowning in sweat. Did you? How did you feel? We we have we had a conversation during the break, as though to say, yeah, the crowd were pissed and they were rowdy, but hopefully they chill for the second half because what you'll often find is people who are that pissed will probably go home, and people who are that pissed as well on the other side will just get a bit like tired, pissed, where left are just a bit more chilled and quiet. 
Well, look, I think I've, I've said this before. You can get a drunken crowd, you can be drunk, but as the night goes on, you know, if they've been drinking since 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, they might be very noisy and heckling you at 9 o'clock, but 10 o'clock they go a little bit sleepy. Okay. So I was hoping in the second half that they'd be a lot better, kind of. No heckling at all. Thought they might have gone a bit quiet. So um, we, we had about half an hour break. You little get did I know. You get back on stage, fill us in. Tell us what happened. Got, got back on stage, started getting heckled almost straight away mm. by these lads up on the left, this fat fellow with a beard. I think it says something to him in the first half. He got up and walked to the bar and came back and he looked. I think he was the fellow I was saying to him, weren't you in total recall? Okay. Open your mind, Mr. Quaid. And he wasn't really laughing. He didn't like it. So he's sitting there. So he must have felt a bit brave. And don't forget, we're a socially distanced show. You haven't got people sandwiched next to each other like sardines, like it used to be. So I think people feel a bit braver. They've got spaces all around them. And they can shout out and no one's going to be sitting next to them and no one's going to say to them, look, will you be quiet, please? It's like a little segregated group. So you've got like six lads and then yeah. like a massive gap and then another six lads or and, and a gap and then a couple, or, do you know what I mean? So as you said, they do feel a bit braver. So what's the fella, what's the lad? Does he start shouting out at you? What happened? He starts shouting out, say something funny. Oh, yeah. And I said, you're funny, aren't you? You shouldn't drink on an empty head, you fucking dickhead. Then he started, he just wouldn't stop. Say something funny, say something funny. So it got to the stage that you could see the crowd were fuming. What's with that them. vibe? Why would the fuck would you come to a show, pay £22.50 for the ticket, yeah. just sit out and say something funny? Do you it's just because he had the ump? Possibly, but I think it was probably, he's just a dickhead. Mm. People don't realise, they go, hang on a minute. Some fellas kicked off in a pub and hit someone for nothing. Why would anyone do They're just dickheads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's loads of people. You're not, not everyone. You know, 99% of people, but there is a, there's a percentage of people who are just fucking idiots. Yeah. This fellow's a fucking prick, just an idiot. I invite hecklers. I like hecklers. Hecklers can answer the show. If they're shouting something out, which is quite funny, and I shout something back to them and it goes like a tennis ball, you know, kind of, I hit it to him, he hits it... It can be quite funny, but when it starts being very, very nasty and when the guy that's shouting out is just shouting fuck off or say something funny, obviously 500 people think it's funny and they've paid fucking good money to see the show. <laughs> yeah. They haven't paid to listen to a dickhead shouting out say something funny. Mm. If he doesn't think it's funny, all he's got to do is go home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's welcome to have his fucking money back. He was just a fucking idiot. You're not welcome to have your money back, by the way, unless Frankie's putting it out of his own pocket. I would have paid the trick to go, <laughs> go on. Ahead. I would have paid him to go on. Go but on. at the end of the day, if it gets to the stage where it's not funny and he's ruining the night for everyone else, yeah. he needs to be ejected. Mm. I mean, even Richard Pryor or, you know, fucking whatever, I don't know any, you know, Bernie Mac, top comedians in the world. If they're on stage and someone's just shouting, fuck off, say something funny, what can you say to that? Yeah. So he had to be thrown out, he had to be ejected. And that's where we got a bit of a problem, really. Well, I'm standing side the stage. I'm hearing you going on and on, back and forth with this fella. Five, ten minutes, you reckon, that you're spending on him? Ten minutes, yeah. Okay. And then it gets to the point where you think this is ruining the show. How do you come to the conclusion that... Well, obviously, I'm very experienced. I've worked in some of the roughest places in the UK. I've seen big fights in the middle of the stage. I've been attacked myself, but I've managed 
to kind of get over it. And what happens is once you get the people thrown out who are causing the trouble, then you get a totally different atmosphere in the room and they can be a good crowd again and you can bring the house down, you can do well. So that's what I was aiming for. I, because I'm so experienced, I realised, I thought, no, this has gone too far. These guys need to leave the room. So I said, ladies and gentlemen, we need to get this guy ejected. I'm sorry, mate, you'll have to go. I'm not prepared to carry on while he's in the room or his mate was having a go as well. So the security went over and asked him to leave and he wouldn't leave. Now, the crowd who were already pissed off with the disruption and they were there, they wanted to listen to the jokes, they started singing, get him out, get him out, get him out. Mm. And they were singing for fucking ages and the security were arguing with him and he wouldn't leave and then they were trying to pick him up out of the chair and then he said, oh, I'm only having a laugh, I'm only... But he wasn't, he was being very nasty. Then one of the security guys shouted to me on stage, do you really want him out? And I said, yes, I want him out right now or I'm not carrying on. So I think the security were a bit reluctant to throw him out because like everybody else, you know, it's like someone who kicks off in a club or someone who breaks into a fucking house. Once they get caught, they go, oh, oh no, I was just having a wee against the wall. Everyone's got a story yeah. because nobody wants to be locked up. Nobody wants to be thrown out. So he was saying, oh, oh, no, I didn't really mean it. So we kind of had the security convinced. So I had to say to the security, no, I want him out of the room. So eventually he got thrown out of the room and the crowd was singing, going home, going home, going home. And it was great and it was dead funny. Now, believe it or not, that crowd went home that night thinking, what a fantastic night. And getting them involved, singing, get them home. And a lot of working class people, not that they want to see a fight. Mm. They don't want trouble. But they get excited. And I get excited. We all get excited that there's the threat that there could be real trouble. And what you get then, when you get the stimulus of the trouble, the fellow who was kicking off, once he gets take the thorn out of the foot, so to speak, once he, him and his mates were thrown out, you get a fantastic atmosphere. People are relieved. They're really up for a laugh. Mm. And then you have a laugh about, you know, we got that dickhead thrown out. He was singing again. And it ended up a fantastic night. Well, obviously, after the show, obviously, with it being, you know, a show that I promoted myself, I always get worried that somebody got thrown out and think, fucking hell, was that the right decision? What did the crowd think, etc.? And try and analyse what people you know, what people's opinion might be of it. But um, we did some, you know, research with the audience afterwards with live videos and asking questions and stuff like that. And everyone seems to be made up that the fellas got ejected. Yeah, like, well, look, we got a, hundred, a lot of comments. 99% of all the comments were saying, thank God you got that fella thrown out. He was ruining the night. Yeah. 99, but nobody said, why did you get him thrown out? Yeah, someone, there was a few comments like, you're a knob. Why did you get someone thrown out? I think it was like one yeah, or two. You're going to get a couple of dickheads. I mean, look, just just, just to, as a bit of a caveat on that to anyone who's listening or watching and thinking, why the fuck would you get someone thrown out for a show? As Frank said, hecklers are welcomed. If you come to a Frankie Allen show, it does not have big signs up everywhere like a comedy club saying, you cannot heckle during this performance. Well, well, We're well, not yeah, asked. Well, this, but, is, this is another thing, what you've just said. Yeah. It's illegal, really, in the comedy clubs to heckle anyone. Mm. Basically because the, the, the alternative comics don't really want it, that their act doesn't lend itself to heckling. Yeah. But I don't mind if people heckle me. Not that I invite it, really, 
But I can go to toe-to-toe toe to toe with anybody and make it funny. And if someone gets the better than me, Grace, it's happened before. You get a big laugh out of the crowd and I'll say something. I've got to take my hat off to you. What a great crowd. What a funny crowd. All the best, mate. You should be here. I should be sitting where you are and all that. But when someone starts being very, very nasty, the atmosphere emanates from him and it spreads among the crowd. People feel uncomfortable. They feel uneasy. That's not what they've come to see. They need to be ejected. It's mad the way they just shout fuck off in that anyway, but... Well, that's all you can shout. What else can you shout? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Anyway, fellas get bailed from the building. Um, show goes on. Enjoy it? Thoroughly enjoyed it. And just to kind of... Uh, what's the word? What really brought it home to me that it did the right thing? Because you never really know. You know, obviously I had doubts. I thought I should have let him stay in or... No, there was four or five lads in front of the guy that was heckling me on the row in front and later on I was speaking to them after the show and these lads were from Grange Park in Blackpool which is a little bit rough and these were like tough lads they were Andy lads and they said listen Frank it's a fucking good job you got that guy thrown out because we were going to start hitting him we told him we kept turning around and saying hey mate fucking shut up you're ruining the night but he wouldn't shut up so we done the right thing decent so overall did you enjoy it tell us what you thought do you know what? It's like anything else, and it's probably like a boxing match again, if I can make that analogy. Sometimes you're going to go in the ring, you're going to knock somebody out in the first round, Somebody. sometimes you're going to knock somebody out in the third round, sometimes you can go out, you can be getting battered for four or five rounds, but you can win on points. And I would say, not that we won on points, both you and Kilbo and myself, we won very well, but we had to work at it because of the heckling. What I always look at is the reviews post-show to see what people thought about it based on their reviews. And the review level was at 71%. And to be fair, for a socially distanced show, first one back in six months, seven out of 10 will do me all day. Yeah, you know, when seven you Seven out of 10 will do me all day. I, I'm not Go saying on. it was, uh, you know, obviously you're going to be a bit rusty. Yeah. I hadn't worked for 15 months, neither had Kilbo, neither did you. I mean, I thought we'd done exceptionally well considering. Yeah. Now, if it would have been a good crowd that weren't drunk, but we were up against it and we came through really, I thought, with flying colours. We'd done the right thing. We got the fella ejected. And all in all, when you look back at the night, it was very entertaining with the crowd singing, get him out, get it. It didn't ruin the night. It wasn't disruptive. Belter, okay. So how you feel? How did you feel after it? Following day, stuff like that. I mean, obviously you're probably analysing your performance yeah. and stuff like that, but was it a buzz to be back on stage? Were you, were you, are you feeling good that you were kind of like back at it? Well, look, as you know, me and Jimmy Kilvo, our support comedian, who's a brilliant comic, we had a fucking good laugh about it the next day. I was sending him messages saying, Jimmy, I'm lying in bed. I should be in a fucking oxygen tent. Every bone is aching in my body after doing that show last night. And he sent me a text message saying, yeah, the next time we do, you know, go on stage in there, I want to take uh, Matt Damon with me. It was like, it was like a scene from uh, Saving Private Ryan. And I said, yeah, I've already phoned Tom Hanks because we're going back there in September if he can come along. And we just had a fucking good laugh about it, you know. But it was draining. I felt drained for a couple of days. But that's what we get paid for. I mean, mm. you've got to accept, as I say, like a boxer or like a footballer, you're not going to, not that you're not going to be on form. You know, it's like Liverpool can play kind of like, teams in the cup from the lower divisions but there are teams when, there are times when you've got to play like Barcelona and Madrid yeah so 
they were a tough crowd. We hadn't worked for 15 months, neither of us, me and Kilvo and yourself, but I think we all kind of like, not just won on points, we all done very well with a tough crowd. Yeah, decent. And, uh, you know, I, for me, I was worried about whether a venue like that and... First of all, I got a load of comments when we put a picture of you up on Facebook and Instagram and all the rest of it against the theatre background. People were saying, it's the wrong venue for you, Frankie. This looks like the wrong venue for you, Frankie. It's too big and it's the wrong style. Now, first of all, yeah. like if you couldn't sell that many tickets, why the fuck would you do a smaller crowd? That doesn't make sense. Well, it's like someone saying, it's like someone saying, fucking hell, Steven Gerrard. You know, yeah. you 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 should be playing Sunday League. You'd be amazing at Sunday League and being well, like, what the, are you on about? At the moment, yeah. it took us a couple of years. But, you know, people are more interested now in Frankie Allen, the Frankie yeah. Allen phenomenon. And it's gone from where we had 100 people coming into a room when the video went, first went viral. Now we can get four, five, six hundred people. So it's great and it's going. I mean, people are getting more interested all the time. Yeah. It's going up and up and up and up. So it was a first for me to work in a theatre. It wasn't nervous about it, but very successful. So it's hopefully paved the way for more theatre shows and bigger crowds. Well, let me ask you this. Obviously, people look at the theatre and they see people sitting facing forwards, yeah? They see people sitting facing forwards and thinking, okay, well, your vibe is all about crowd interaction. There's going to be no crowd interaction. Now, based on the latest legislation... The only way, the only venues in which people are allowed to move on their own to go to the bar theaters. is in the theatre. Yeah. So what the fuck are they on about? If it was a normal venue, yeah. like, like you know, an unorthodox venue, like a big event space, you'd yeah. have to be sat down at your table anyway for table I mean, service. 50% of my act is picking on people yeah. that get up out of the chair and go to the toilet or go to the bar or leave the room or come back in the room, whatever they're doing. So, yeah, it, I mean, if people are just kind of like sitting in a chair and they can't go to the bar. Yeah. It's kind of limiting things for me. I want people to move around. Did you, So do you think the theatres in future will be still be, you know, really good because of that? Or do you I, think... I love theatres. I oh, think okay. theatre. After doing that one on Saturday, you know, I'm looking forward to the next time we do a theatre because you've got a captive audience. I mean, I've been raised on the clubs. I've been brought up in environments where you're walking into a pub, not the people aren't facing you. People have got the backs to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've got four or five people, you know, sitting around. A, I've had to go in places where when you walk on, people are playing cards. Yeah. You know, you go up to Newcastle and Sunderland, some of those old social clubs, you'd walk out on a Sunday lunch hour show, Sunday afternoon. What they used to do up there, they'd be reading newspapers. <laughs> Fuck off. They'd all read the newspapers and they'd have a raffle and raffle was a fucking big thing of meat. It's like crazy. What do you mean a thing of meat? Like what the butchers? Big joints, a no joint, right. joint of meat. Mm. And they'd be raffling black puddings and things. and Mad that. Great pies and whatever. Mm. Yeah, this was only a few years ago. So yeah, anybody who's up in the northeast watching this will have to agree with this. A lot of the social clubs, people just sit there reading newspapers, four or five people. So you've got to try and get them to put the newspapers down. You've got to try and get them to stop playing cards. You've got to try and get them to face the stage, because yeah. a lot of them are facing the other way. Hundreds of people standing at the bar trying to get served. So you've got the bar six or seven deep. Looks like a football match. So all my experience has been 
with crowds like that where I'm really desperately trying to get them to listen. So it makes it so, much so easier. So to get a theatre where everybody's paid, they want to see you, they know who Frankie Allen is, they're all sitting there, they're all facing the stage, waiting for me to come on, really is, is heaven sent. It's just a lot easier. Somebody, uh, you know, look, by the way, this might sound, you know, to people as though the Frankie Allen crowd is like some big, mad, rough, barely crowd who's yeah. like fucking, you know, who's it, where there's kickoffs and all that. However, we spoke to the venue managers and they were they were weirdly shocked at the crowd and how young it was and how kind of trendy it was, weren't they, in comparison to other other comics they've had and stuff like that. Well, look, like you that. won't mention the other comics that have been on there lately and or this year or whatever or last year, but it's been a bit of a pattern really with other comics that the crowd have been very boisterous yeah. and sometimes there's been it's hecklers. probably just the location of the guy. The location. Yeah. No, I think it's just... Basically, what it is with Blackpool, it's just the culture of people who go to Blackpool. Mm. As I say, they go out and they're drinking all afternoon. Yeah. So some of them can't take the drink. So you're gonna get a bit of trouble in the evening if they're watching a show. Some of them don't like being picked on or whatever. We don't know. We don't really know what their threshold is in the mind. But certainly for me, it was a fantastic night. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Love to do it tonight. If it was available, love to go straight back there tonight. Well, Tim, we're going to be back there soon. And, and testament to the show itself, um, we got offered six shows there for next year, which could happen. We'll see if it does happen. And, you know, it just it's just fantastic that to be able to start this off. I mean, the first show that I promoted in April 2019 was 50 tickets yeah. in Wrexham. Didn't okay. look like that was the case in fucking on the vlog. But 54 tickets we did for that Centenary Club in Wrexham. Yeah. And me and you were like proper like nonchalant about doing 500 tickets there in the North Pier Theatre. So what can we say? Tell the story about the North Pier Theatre, why it meant so much for you to well, do Well, this that is show. another kind of good story, really. And it's a true story. So hope nobody thinks for one minute that this is fabricated, that have made it up. And as I've said many, many times on these podcasts... I don't do this for money. I'm not doing it for fame to try and be a film star. I love being on the stage. I love being a comedian. And I think my brand of humour is very suitable to working class audiences and I want to bring it to them and try to bring it to a younger generation who haven't really seen my sense of my kind of humour. They've only been brought up on what's been on the TV, which is kind of politicised and they're alternate, which is not really my bag. But when I was working the social clubs and a donkey's years working on the clubs, trying to get places, there was a bit of a structure. And what the structure was with the agents that ran the social clubs was first come, first served, no, a lot of favouritism. For clean comedians who were very lightweight, they didn't pick on the crowd, they didn't swear, they didn't do contentious material. They the ones that got all the work. Mm. So because I was a blue comedian, not to say that I was kind of blacklisted or marginalised or they wouldn't give me any work, I was certainly in the kind of like relegation zone okay. of the list of comedians. And I used to get a lot of free dates where I wouldn't be working on a Saturday night, but I knew other comics who weren't as good as me but were cleaner and were yes-men, really, to the agents. I was a bit of a maverick yeah. character. They'd all be working. So many, many times I get phone calls at 9 o'clock at night saying, Frankie, are you working? No, OK, 
go to so-and-so club because the comedian's broken down, he can't make it. He's coming from Newcastle, he can't make the show. So obviously the phone and me as a kind of last-minute replacement, I'm like 999 <laughs> and the emergency services. Hundreds of times I got those calls and I had to go up there. Guy's obviously happy to see me, but I'm going on stage when they're expecting someone else. Okay. So it was very difficult. And I remember one particular time, an agent <laughs> rang me up and it was a quarter to nine. And I said, Frankie, are you working tonight? And I said, no. Okay, will you get up to Windle Labour Club in St. Helens? And uh, because he said, I've got a comic booked in there. Can I mention his name, do you think? No, not really. Mention his name, I'm not asked. Who is he? A comic, a comic called Mike Lancaster. They said, Mike Lancaster is booked on this Windle Labour Club tonight, but he can't make it. He's just rang me to say that he has got the opportunity as a last-minute replacement to support Freddie Starr on the North Pier in Blackpool. Now, he didn't argue with him because certainly a few years ago, and probably now as well, yeah. in entertainment circles, in show business, to work on the North Pier in any capacity is like working in Las Vegas. Okay. You feel as though you've made it, you know. All the top comics, Freddie Starr, I mean, Chubby Brown during the 80s, always on the North Pier, Little and Large in the 70s, Cannon and Ball, the huge stars of the UK headlined the North Pier. So even to get on the North Pier as a support act, don't you give you a lot of kudos, a lot of, you know, say about, you know, you give you a lot of kind of like credibility about being a comic up just on the North Pier. People will give you a lot of respect. Okay. So a lot of brownie points. So I, uh, he said, oh, yeah, Mike Lancaster's been asked to go on the North Pier and support. He's just got a phone call because so-and-so, I can't remember the guy's name, he can't make it. So without hesitation, the agent and Mike Lancaster, yeah, go, go. You've got to go to the North Pier. Yeah. Because, you, you you know, you're on the North Pier. It's like saying to a footballer, you know, you've been picked to play in the final at Wembley. Yeah. And you've, you've only ever been in the reserves on the A-team. So he had to go and do that. So I drove up. I'm the replacement. I'm driving up to this fucking little club, Wendell Labour Club, which he's done a fantastic audience in there. But I got in there and St. Helens, the fella said, oh, where's Mike Lancaster? I said, he can't make it. You know, it's me. Oh, all right, Frankie, you know, so, 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 so. And I had to go on. Went down very well. And on the way home, I was driving. And it's a strange thing. Once you've been on stage and all the adrenaline's round, rushing around your body, when you're driving home, very therapeutic, you can really relax. And I like being on my own. I like driving on my own. Don't really like taking people with me to gigs. Coming home, I was driving down the Lanks and I was thinking, I thought, fucking hell, all right. I made a couple of hundred quid, but I wasn't working tonight. Now, I'm as good, if not better, than any other comedian in the UK. This was only a few years ago. And I said, okay, I'm the last minute comic because you've got somebody else to go to the North Pier as support. And I said, no, fuck off. One day I will be on the North Pier in Blackpool headlining. Everybody will be paying. Hundreds of people will be coming to see Frankie Allen. I'll make sure of that. And I was de more determined than ever after that night by hook or by crook, to make it in some way. And it happened? It happened. Serendipity once again, vindication once again. Vindication for me. And that's why I was 
determined, really, when I was on the North Pier on Saturday night, when they were not really a good crowd, when they were a rough crowd, I was determined to use every fucking fibre of me being, really, to make sure I went down great. And, believe it or not, well, not believe it or not, really, it's strange, really, the way... It's fascinating the way things fly around in show business. People are very gossipy. And I've had a lot of phone calls this week, as you have. A lot of comments. People are ringing me up. I believe you had a good night. I believe it was a great night. I believe it was sold out at the North Pier. And doing that North Pier thing, I mean, even coming here today, people were stopping me for pictures. People stopped me for pictures this morning, going to cafe. So it happens all the time now. So the Frankie Allen phenomenon has really taken off. Thanks to my own talent... Thanks to Will's management, which, as I say, he's taking it from 50 people in a room to like five, six, seven hundred people. Hopefully, we're going to be doing thousands very soon. Hopefully. That's in, that's on the plan. That's what's happening next. We've just sold out Liverpool Grand Central Hall. Massive thank you to everyone who bought the tickets for that. Um, obviously, as we just said, we just sold out the North Pier Theatre as well. Huddersfield sold out. A lot of other venues that we've got on the list are really low on tickets. So if you want to get your tickets for that, you can. The link will be in the description or, you know, wherever around this video or around this audio clip that you're watching, there'll be a link somewhere where you can buy your tickets. If not, just go to skiddle.com, type in Frankie Allen. All the tickets are on there. Or go to frankieallen.co.uk on the homepage. All the tickets are on there. We're going absolutely everywhere in the UK. And to anyone who keeps saying Frankie's scared of going to Scotland, he's not fucking scared of going to Scotland. It's because Nicholas Sturgeon is not opening stuff as quickly as everywhere well, else. That, that's where yeah. we're dying to get to Scotland the most. We want to get to Scotland. I did the dual minors club at Edinburgh last year, 18 months ago. We went to the uh, Buddha Bar in Soggy Hall Street in Glasgow with our mate Tom Melville, who owns it. Had a fantastic night. So we've got some good friends up there. I'm fucking scared to go to Scotland. <laughs> we want to go up there. As soon as Sturgeon lifts these restrictions, you know, as soon as all these stupid restrictions are lifted, we will be all over the UK. Yes, love that. And uh, yeah, massive thank you to anyone who's listened or watched. If you're on YouTube, make sure you do give us a thumb up on the vid. Comment below. Tell us what's been happening with you. We'll, if you've got any questions, we maybe we'll discuss them in a future podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. 15,000 subscribers coming up. We probably passed that marker by the time that you watch this video. If you're listening on Apple or if you're on Spotify, give us a five-star review. As I always say, where sounds, your sounds. Let's... Let's have some good vibes. Gives a five-star review. Goes a long way. And uh, yeah, Frank, anything else going on today? What's your day looking like up to much? Just going to relax today. As I say, one of my secrets, one of the secrets of my success, why I am so different than every other comic, not because of my material is contentious or some people might consider it over the top or aggressive or whatever. I managed to take the audience to a different level of laughter than everybody else. More laughter because I put 120% into my act. And nothing was ever truer than Saturday night when there was an awful lot riding on it. You know, your reputation in this business means so much. Now, in that second half, if I would have been a little bit kind of flaky is the word, and I would have said to the crowd, look, boys, gentlemen, I'm sorry, this fella's heckling me nonstop. I can't handle it. He's ruined the night. I'm sorry. I've got to go and walked off. Yeah. That would have been the talk of the parish. Everybody in the UK would have been saying, Frankie walked off. I thought he was fearless. He walked off. But no, I stayed on. And be because that fellow was being so aggressive, I was prepared even to fight him. I, I would have punched him in the end. <laughs> if, he, 
Yeah, well, when I'm on stage, I'm very territorial. That's my stage. Yeah. The fellow was punching. Didn't you see him punching over the bouncer's shoulder as though to say, I'm going to do you then? If he would have approached me before I walked off, I would have fought him. Yeah. I wouldn't have walked off. Some little dickhead, a little fat fella with no fucking neck is heckling me. Yeah. He looked like his fucking neck was growing out of his chest, like Cato from Total Recall. Open your mind. I'm not that little fucking prick like him ruin my show. I would have fucking chinned him. So I'm not telling lies, Will. Fair enough. So that's what it's all about. I put 200% into my act, whereas a lot of comics just go on and they go, yeah, I'm on stage tonight, do a few gags. And I've heard them saying to each other, yeah, so-and-so, yeah, Labour Club venue. Uh, but oh, yeah, You've only got to do half an hour. Why have you got to do half an hour? You've got to go on just like, you know, like professional boxers and fight as though you are fighting as though and I'm working, I'm telling gags, and doing a performance as though my life depends on it. Nice one. Thank you very much for listening or watching, people. I hope you have a great week. Enjoy yourselves. As I said, if you want to come along to a live show, feel free to do so. If you want a memo or Frank or you want to support the channel, everything will be in the description below. And there, uh, yeah. Any feedback is always warranted. You're top people, as I said. Uh, you know, enjoy your week. Frank, any last words? Last words are obviously we're all waiting for Monday for the, uh, it's not looking good at the moment for the announcements. Well, about, everyone will have seen that by now. This will yeah, go out about a month later. So I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that everything's going to be lifted. It's all going to be good, right? Enjoy your week, people. Have a good one. And um, yeah, signing out from me, Will Cranny, your host from the UK's most feared comedian, Frankie Allen. Big thanks for Jacob for letting us uh, into the studio. And a big thanks to Will for organising our first events, which is the first one of many on Saturday and uh, making it a very successful night. And big thanks to our support comedian, Jimmy Kilbo. Nice one. Next podcast going to be with James Kilvington himself. He's popping into the studio for a little interview and we're going to have a good laugh with him. So nice one. Appreciate you listening massively and uh, appreciate you watching in a bit, people. <laughs> <laughs>